Good evening. Can you guys believe it's mid-October? It's mid-October. It feels like just yesterday the semester was starting. Feels like yesterday it was September. Uh, apparently nobody woke me up when September ended because I feel like I just woke up and it was mid-October. Right? We've got not next Sunday, but the next Sunday is Halloween. Then the day after that, it's November. Before you know it, it's Thanksgiving. Then before you know it, the semester is over. I'm sorry if that fills any of you with any kind of existential dread. I'm just telling you where we're at. It's going to go by quickly. Uh, before you know it, it's going to be 2025, and we're going to get to go to World Mission Summit, right? Hopefully, most of you will get to go. Some of you won't. It's going to be great. 2025 can't come soon enough. Uh, this semester has been a, yes, thank you, that incredible graphic by Christopher Scroggins. Uh, direct any of your design needs to him. Uh, I think he's doing some freelance stuff on the side now. Uh, incredible, 2025. But this semester has been great. Here's what we've gotten to do so far if you haven't been here. Each week we've looked at a different aspect of God's character, right? So we've looked at the fellowship of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, the mission of God, and the generosity of God. And what's incredible is we could keep doing this for a very long time, and maybe we will. But what's, what's cool is that just like us, just like his creation, the aspects of God's character are often intertwined, right? They work together. They complement each other. They work together perfectly because he's perfect. So tonight we're actually going to cover two aspects of God's character that in my mind are, are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. They're inseparable. We're going to talk about the imminence of God, not to be confused with the imminence of God. Did you hear the difference? It's English. You're welcome. If you change the A to an I, it's a whole different word. Okay, so we're going to talk about the imminence of God and the intentionality of God. Another way you could say those two things is that God is not distant. God's not a God who created us and left us to our own devices. He's ever-present in our lives, in the lives of his creation. And then secondly, he never does anything without purpose. He does things intentionally. He's, he has imminence and he has intentionality. We see that the whole Bible is a story of God's relationship with his, uh, and involvement with his creation. That's what made preparing for tonight so difficult because there's an, a number of incredible stories that we could talk about and study and look at. There's a lot to choose from. So tonight we're just going to look at a few of them across the Bible and hopefully that's going to get you stoked to go read the Bible on your own and learn some more. The obvious place to start when we're talking about the imminence of God or God being present in history is in the life of Jesus, right? You can't get more imminent than God incarnate in, uh, with us on earth. But what I want to do is start in the Old Testament to make it clear to you that this didn't start when Jesus came to earth. God has been operating this way all throughout human history. When we study the Bible, we often see that there's, there's many ways God chooses to interact with us as humans. Tonight, we're going to look at three, the three ways that I think are the most common. We'll look at two stories in the Old Testament that actually show us all three of these ways. We see that God speaks to us, whether that's audibly in some of the stories we're going to look at tonight, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through studying his word, God speaks to us. We see that God sometimes intervenes, inter, uh, excuse me, intervenes miraculously in our lives. He shows up in miracles. And then also we see that God uses us to reveal himself to those around us. So the first story we're going to look at is in the Old Testament. It's the story of Moses. Uh, we're going to jump, not at the beginning of Moses' story, but we're going to jump in when God shows up to talk to Moses for the first time. 
And if you don't know the story of Moses, you could read the book of Exodus. I would encourage you to read his entire story. It's pretty great. After you read the book of Exodus, I would encourage you to watch the 1998 film, The Prince of Egypt, okay? Now, often, it's not often that I would recommend a movie by telling you it's a 1998 animated film about the Bible. Because as somebody who's seen a lot of 1990s animated films about the Bible, most of them don't hold up. Most of them are pretty bad. But this one holds up. It's great. You would be surprised the voice cast that they got. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, and also, if you're a fan of cinema and you enjoy good musical scores, one Hans Zimmer wrote the music for the film. It's pretty great. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in to Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 2. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I would also turn aside. This is pretty incredible. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And we see Moses said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And we're going to skip, but what happens after this is that God is calling Moses. At this time, the people of Israel are in captivity in Egypt, right? They're in slavery. And God is calling Moses to go and petition on their behalf to the Pharaoh who is in charge to let the Israelites go. We see in verse 11, if we skip forward, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You're the perfect person. He said, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. We see if we continue in verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. There's some cool things to note here. Uh, to me, there's, there are few words in the world that are more comforting then somebody's telling you that they're going to be with you, right? This is something we can all relate to. Whether you're doing something for the first time or something that's out of your comfort zone or it's scary, to have somebody that you love, that you care about, maybe your friend or relative, come to you and say, it's okay, I'll go with you, we're going to do this together, is very comforting. And it's even more comforting when it's coming from the God of the, that created the universe, right? We see this is not just uh, a one-time thing. God, throughout human history, tells people this. We see Jesus says it in the New Testament when he gives us the Great Commission. He says, go into all of the world and make disciples, and I'm going to be with you to help you. It's pretty incredible. Secondly, we see God is showing Moses that he is who he always has been and always will be. Two different times within a short span, God says, I'm the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, and the God of Jacob. What he's doing is he's showing Moses, I'm the same God that met with your, your forefathers, your ancestors. The people of Israel would have known that these people had a, a personal relationship with God that influenced all of the people of Israel. 
He's showing him that he's a God that interacts with people. The story of Moses is also just one small piece of God's interaction with the Israelites, even just in the book of Exodus. When you zoom out and look at the whole story of Exodus, uh, you can choose to look at it one of two ways. We could look at the story of Exodus as the story of mankind or of the Israelites, or we could look at Exodus as the story of God. And our good friend G. Campbell Morgan says this. He says, To take the standpoint of the divine procedure, in other words, to say we're going to look at this as the story of God, is to discover the line of progress and to observe the method by which God was moving forward towards the accomplishment of an ultimate purpose. There's that intentionality. Thus, the chief value of the book is its revelation of the fact that human progress has ever been the result of the grace and the patience of God. Its permanent values, then, are its revelations of the methods of God and the responsibilities of man. The methods of God and the responsibilities of man. Now, G. Campbell is talking about the book of Exodus, but this applies to the entire Bible. It's a revelation of who God is, of what his character is like, of how he operates, and what we should do in response. We should also know that this passage reveals how intentional God is. He's choosing to speak to Moses for a reason. Because Moses is the perfect person for the job. If you don't know Moses' story, he's an Israelite. He's of Jewish descent, but he grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh. There's nobody who has a better shot at being a bridge between the two peoples than Moses. It's not an accident. He was uh, intentional in the way that he showed up to speak to him in a burning bush. He knew that that would get his attention. He also had a plan for the people of Israel and ultimately the rest of the world at that time. He knew that if he could take the Israelites and release them from Egypt, that he could use the people of Israel to change the world and to share him ultimately with the rest of the people that lived near them in that time. In this story, we see all of those three ways that God interacts with us. We see that he spoke to Moses, that he intervened miraculously, showed up in a burning bush, and we know if you continue in the story that he shows up in an incredible amount of miracles in the life of Moses as well as the Israelites. And we also see that he used Moses to reveal himself to the rest of the Israelites and to the Egyptians. The second story we're going to look at is one of my favorite. It's uh, found in the book of Daniel. And maybe if you grew up in church like me, you've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We don't have time to read the entire story, so I'm going to give you the cliff notes, because uh, the entire story is a whole chapter in the Bible. But I encourage you to go back and read it yourself if you're taking notes. It's in uh, Daniel chapter 7. So what we're doing is we're going to fast forward from where we were in Exodus with Moses, round about a thousand years in the future, and we find the people of Israel are in trouble. Uh, at this time in history, Israel has just been torn apart by the Assyrians. And when we meet Daniel, uh, Judah has been absolutely destroyed by the Babylonians. And at this point, the kingdom of Babylon stretched across what is modern day Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. I think we have a picture so you can see just how big it is. That entire green area is, the, uh, is what Babylon had control of at that point in time when we meet Daniel. See, what would happen is that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians would conquer a city, and they would go in and they would pick the best. They would take the brightest, the smartest, the strongest young men from those places. They would take them back to Babylon, indoctrinate them, and then uh, allow them to be used to advance their kingdom. And so when we first meet Daniel, we look at the first six chapters of Daniel are his story. And the chapter one, he's taken as a teenager, as a young man, to the city of Babylon. 
And what's incredible about Daniel is he's a man who stood out as one who was faithful to God, even when he was separated from his people. If you look on the map, you'll see that red arrow, that red line, all the way from Judah to the city of Babylon is where Daniel was taken. He was separated completely from his people, but he was still faithful to God. We see that he served uh, in a high position of power in three different governments. He's incorporated by Nebuchadnezzar. He's then highly esteemed by Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, who takes over after him. And he's trusted by Darius, who we'll see in this story, who would then follow after him. In chapter 6, we find that Daniel is one of the highest officials in the entire kingdom. And we don't know how, exactly how old he was in chapter 6, but it's thought that it's very possible he would be in his 80s at this point. So he's lived a long life, and he's been trusted with uh, a high place, a high authority in the kingdom. We see that in chapter 6, King Darius loves Daniel, but a lot of his other high officials and officers don't like him. Uh, they know that Daniel is a man of prayer, so they set a trap for him. They go to the king, and they say, all right, here's what you should do. You should make a decree that for 30 days, nobody is allowed to petition or to pray to any god or any person who's not you. And the king says, great idea. Sounds great. Let's do it. So he makes this decree, and these officials go to where they knew Daniel would be at least three times a day. In his house, in, next to an open window where anybody could see him praying and spending time with God. They come and they take him. And here's what's interesting is that their punishment was to throw him into a den of lions. Which in this case means that they just have a pit full of lions. And they just keep it around in case they need to punish someone. Obviously, they're feeding people to these lions, but they also have to be taking care of them. Somebody's job is to take care of the lions so they can then punish people with the lions. It's pretty crazy. It's, uh, it's very Bond villain to just have a den of lions. So what happens is they, they take Daniel, they throw him in. But what we see is that King Darius is very obviously rooting for him. They throw him in the pit with the lions, and King Darius is, literally says, I really hope that your God shows up and protects you. And then it even says, King Darius goes home to his palace. He said, there's no music, there's no dancing, there's no party. And he stays up all night. He can't sleep, just thinking about, it. is Daniel okay? In the morning, after not sleeping, he rushes to the lion's den to see if Daniel's there. And we return to see that Daniel has been miraculously spared and kept, uh, God kept the lions from eating him. Uh, in my head, this is like, have you ever watched uh, like clips of zookeepers or people that work with wild animals? Oftentimes you don't see this with lions, but maybe like leopards or those kind of like other big cats where they're just like hanging out with them and like laying on them and like hugging them. That's what I imagine is they like show up and Daniel's just chilling with these lions. Uh, be pretty cool to see. I don't know if that's how it went down. But what we see here is each of those three ways again. We see that God spoke to Daniel. This time we don't see an audible voice like with Moses, but we know that Daniel spent time with God at least three times a day that we know of. He would pray, he would pray and we know that prayer is our way of communicating with God. So God was speaking to Daniel. We see also that God miraculously intervened in Daniel's life, obviously, by saving him from the lions. And then here's what we see at the end of the chapter. We see God use Daniel to reveal himself to those around him. At the end of chapter 6, King Darius is amazed by the God of Daniel, and he makes a decree. And we'll pick up in Daniel 6, starting in verse 25. He says, Then King Darius wrote to all of the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all of the earth. Hold up. What? He literally, he's not making a decree just for the kingdom of Babylonia, which we saw was very large. He's sending this out to anybody who will listen. 
across the world, as far as he can reach, he's making a decree. And he says, uh, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. We see that if we zoom out again, just like we did in Exodus, God is intentionally working out his purpose in the life of Daniel, yes, but also in the kingdom of Babylonia. We see that across three different pagan kings, Daniel is in a place of influence, and God is moving even when we don't think he should be. God doesn't care who's in charge. He's working out his ultimate plan in the world, and he gets to use people uh, like Daniel. And this is incredible to me that the king of Babylonia is sending out this message, and it's exactly what we're talking about tonight. He's telling anybody who will listen that God is a God who is present. God is a God who's there, who works miracles, who takes care of his children. Just as we see God presently and intentionally working in the lives of Moses and Daniel in the Old Testament, so we see his interactions with humanity all throughout the New Testament as well. And we don't have time to highlight each story because we would be here for a long time. But the New Testament is filled with people who had a real encounter with God, who were changed by him, and then sent out to share him with the rest of the world. You've got people like Peter, Andrew, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the Jameses, John Mark, Luke, the Marys, Martha, Onesimus, Philemon, Timothy, Titus. We see God use the life, the death, and the prayers of Stephen alongside with the miraculous appearance, blinding, and healing of Paul to change his heart and to send him on a path to becoming the greatest missionary we have ever seen. He would take the seeds of the gospel all over the known worlds. We see in the entire book of Acts is the account of these people who had a radical encounter with God and who were sent out to change the world. But none of these people would have done any of this without the perfect example of God's imminence and intentionality in the person of Jesus. You can't get more imminent than that. God sent his son to live amongst us physically. God, his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Not to mention the fact that Jesus was the most intentional person who's ever walked the face of the planet. His words were chosen carefully. He didn't say what people expected him to say. He didn't say what people wanted him to say. He said, uh, he spoke truth that they needed to hear. He quoted scripture. He spoke softly. He spoke boldly. He was both the lion and the lamb. He didn't travel anywhere aimlessly or without reason. He was always exactly where he needed to be when he needed to be there. Every single thing that Jesus did from his birth all the way to his death and resurrection was, as the Bible says, he was about his father's business. It was all to fulfill God's ultimate purpose of reconciling his children back excuse me, back to him. Now, just like Exodus isn't about the Israelites, so the the story of humanity is not our story. It's the story of a God who longs to be with his children. The king, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Daniel, the God of Peter and Paul and Stephen, he's living and active and intentionally inviting you and I into relationship with him today. That's what's so great about God. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then that means each one of us can have a real experience with him. So the next question is this. Have you had a real experience with God? And if you haven't, I believe it's not because he hasn't offered it. We see all through the Bible that it says that those who seek him wholeheartedly will find him. 
It says that he stands at the door and knocks, and he patiently waits for you to open it. If you haven't had an experience with God yet, tonight can be that night. Maybe it's happening now as you sit. But if it doesn't happen tonight, I have good news for you. He doesn't only operate and meet with people in churches. I spend a lot of time meeting with Jesus in this church. We meet every Tuesday. I'm here on Sundays. I grew up in church. I've been in churches all over the world. Spent a lot of time in church. But I can tell you that the great thing about God being everywhere is that he can meet with us anywhere. Uh, the, the most incredible experiences with God that I've had where I saw those three things, God spoke to me through prayer. God revealed things to me through scripture. He showed up miraculously in my life. And times that he's used me to share himself with others, the majority of those times were not within the walls of a church. For those of us who've given our lives to Jesus, the next question should be, are we living presently and intentionally for the kingdom of God? Are we living presently and intentionally for the kingdom of God? And it may sound simple to live in the present, right? I was born, now I'm here, boom, living in the present. Unfortunately for all of us, I'm not talking about living presently in your life. I'm talking about being present in the lives of those around you and ultimately the kingdom of God. We also have to learn to live intentionally like Jesus does. This is an incredible question, and if you've ever listened to me preach before or teach a small group, you've heard this before, and I'll keep saying it until they take the microphone away from me. The greatest litmus test to figure out what your intentions are is to ask yourself, why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Are my thoughts, words, and actions pushing people closer to Jesus or further away? It's only one of those two choices. Sometimes people stand on stage and they preach about things that they're good at. And I assure you that that is not what's happening here tonight. I am naturally very bad at both of these things. Uh, I'm what you could call an introvert. I love being with people and spending time with people. But the way I recharge is to rest and to be alone or to be with Jesus. Uh, if... You remember at the beginning of the pandemic when we had, like, everybody's got to stay in their own house time? There was two camps of people. Either you were like Scroggins and you were going crazy, right, because you just needed to have time with people. Maybe you were, like, would go to the grocery store just to, like, realize that people still existed and to, like, have some kind of human interaction. Maybe that was you. Or maybe you were like me, and I could have spent probably another three, four months in my house with my beautiful wife just not seeing anybody, and I would have been okay. Now, there's problems on both ends, but you see that when I'm spending time with people, it's not because it's something that comes naturally to me. It's because I'm intentionally being counter to my own selfish desires. And just like learning to be present, I've also had to learn over many years how to be intentional in the way that I think, speak, and act. I used to just say things. When I was a kid, I would just say things. And if it came into my head, I would say it. And you know what happened most of the time? I hurt people's feelings a lot because I was not speaking or acting intentionally. Uh, maybe you're like me and you have these interactions. Uh, if you've ever been to like Walmart or Target or H-E-B in town and you run into somebody, maybe they're your friend, maybe they're just like an acquaintance that you kind of know, and you do this dance where you're like, do I just wave at them and keep going or do we stop and do we talk? And then when we do stop and talk, <clears throat> what do we talk about? Are we, do I ask them about the stuff they're buying? Do I ask them where they're going, what we're doing? And then the conversation inevitably comes to this point where it's, it's dying down, it's coming to an end. And what I do often is I'll, I'll quote a movie. And it's 
generally to end a conversation and to like have something funny happen. And most people I talk to have seen this film. Uh, some people have not, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, but I'll play a clip for you so you can understand exactly what I'm talking about. Hey guys. Oh, big gulps, huh? All right. Well, see you later. If you've never seen that movie, you're probably thinking to yourselves, I don't, I don't understand contextually like what's happening in the movie. I don't understand what's going on. It's great. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Nothing about that scene was planned. Uh, the director will tell you that not only did Jim Carrey make up that line on the spot, the two guys that he was talking to aren't even actors. They're not, they're not extras. They literally were just there watching them film at a 7-Eleven, and the director was like, hey, do you want to be in the shot? And Jim Carrey comes out and gives what is not only the greatest line in the history of cinema, it's also a great way to end conversation. And most of the time, when I do this, somebody like Scroggins or somebody who's seen this will laugh and will like have a back and forth, and then we'll really say goodbye, and then I'll leave. One time, uh, when I was at Chi Alpha at Sam Houston State in Huntsville many moons ago, it was after Chi Alpha. We do that thing where you like walk out of Chi Alpha to your car with a group of people, and then your group of people meets a group of people, and then you like are all talking. But then sometimes some of the groups will leave, and you're left with people that you weren't initially there with. <clears throat> and so this happened. And I was standing there with these two people who none of you will ever get a chance to meet, but I'll just make up some names for fun. We'll call them Katie and Corey. And Katie and Corey uh, happened to be sisters. Uh, and it came to that point in conversation where I was ready to go. They were ready to go. We could all feel it. And so I said, big gulps, huh? And I got nothing. They've never seen this film before, and I've just pulled a Big Gulps reference in a town where there's no 7-Eleven, just out of nowhere. And I could go one of two ways, right? I could say, uh, I'm sorry, that was a movie quote. You've obviously never seen it. Good evening, I hope you have a nice night. Or I could just fully commit. So I said, Big Gulps, huh? Nothing. And I said, well, see you guys later. And then I turned around and I left. <laughs> And I did not see them again for a while. It was a while. But my point is this. That's a perfect phrase that illustrates the opposite of being intentional. What could I have done? I could have said, I hope you have a nice evening. What are you guys doing for small group this week? I could have made any conversation that showed that I cared about them. And instead I said, big gulps, huh? And then I dipped. So the question is, how can we learn? If you're like me... How can we learn to be present and intentional? One way that I learned is through community. Uh, in the same place in Huntsville, Texas, when I showed up to college, a lot of people in Chi Alpha lived in an apartment complex, and it was called Cornerstone. A lot of us lived there. Ryan lived there. Jonathan lived there. And it was not great, right? It's a cheap apartment complex. was in walking distance of most of the buildings on campus. And it was, if you lived there with four people in a two-bedroom, you could, it was like, what, like 300 a month? It was, it was very cheap. And at, at a certain point when I showed up, you could knock on pretty much any building in the apartment complex and somebody from Kafa would probably come to the door. My small group leader, who is the exact opposite of me, who is very good at being with people and being present and intentional, would often take me around and introduce me to people in Cornerstone. And sometimes he would just introduce me to somebody and then leave me in their apartment. So imagine you're these people, and a, 
like your friend who you know has come in and then just left a stranger on your couch. He's left a stranger on your couch. Uh, and I want to tell you a story about my friend Derek. And what's incredible about this is that one week from today, my friend Derek will be here, and he is going to preach for you. You may recognize Derek's voice if you listen to uh, the Small Group Leader podcast. He is the host of the podcast. But Derek is incredible, and he's very intentional in the way that he talks to people. And I can remember that my, my friend Josh brought me into Derek's apartment, where Jonathan also lived for a time, and he put me on the couch, and then he said, I've got to go do something. I'll be right back. And Derek could have been about to have dinner. Derek probably had homework. Derek could have just gone to hang out with his friends and his roommates and left me there, and that would have been right. That would have been okay. But instead, he took time to sit down and intentionally ask me who I was and about my family and about what I was studying and why I was there, and he got to know me. And over time, I can tell you, I've now spent way more time in ministry apart from Derek, not living in the same place than I did with Derek. But Derek and I are bonded as brothers forever. And a lot of that was because our friendship was based uh, foundationally on him being intentional in my life. Somebody else who's incredible to me is a man named Paul Brown. Uh, last, a couple of weeks ago at Summit, a lot of you guys got to meet Mary and Eli Gotro for the first time. They started Chi Alpha at Sam Houston State the year I was born. Doesn't matter when that was. But when they started the university there, a friend of theirs named Paul Brown, who they met on campus, started it with them. And Paul is great at this. He's intentional. He's good at loving people and sharing Jesus with people. And he discipled a lot of men. And what's cool is if you look back on the family tree, if you trace my lineage spiritually, my small group leader and their small group leader and their small group leader, for like 85 or 90% of the male side of Chi Alpha, all of us trace our lineage back to Paul Brown. But for the most part, none of us know this. And Paul was very much like Daniel in the city of Huntsville. He was a trusted person who had a high authority in the city. He was trusted a lot financially with money. And every week for a decade that I was there, he would come in the back of our service, which was a little bit bigger than this. Imagine there's 600 people there, and this 40-year-old man would walk in the back quietly, and he would pick up the offering, and he would leave to take it to the bank. There's no reason that this man should stop to talk to me. I was my first year on staff. I was not important, I promise. And he stopped intentionally one service in the back of the room, and he introduced himself to me, and he asked for my name. And I didn't talk to him often, but every time I've seen him since then for a decade, he remembers my name. And a man who's that intentional, there's a reason that not only was he a trusted person in the city of Huntsville, but there's a reason that his spiritual lineage is so impressive, because he foundationally understood how to live purposefully and intentionally to invest in and love the people around him, even people that he knew he may not see again. What's incredible as well is so we've got a community of brothers and sisters that can help each other as we walk towards Jesus, learn these things. But Jesus himself is going to help us. Slowly but surely, he's transforming my thoughts, my words, and actions. And I get better at seeing the whole picture. More often, I become like Jesus was about my father's business. And God is able to do through me what he has done in my life and in my heart. So let's do this uh, as the band comes up. Would you guys stand with me? <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time with Jesus. Uh, and the worship team is going to play. Uh, and if you've never had a real experience with Jesus, this is your chance. He wants desperately to meet with you. 
And here's what I know to be true. I promise you this. He knows your heart. And if you wholeheartedly are seeking after him and you want to have an experience with him, he's going to show up. And there's not very many things that I would bank on that I would promise you, especially from a microphone. But Jesus is at the top of that list. If you wholeheartedly are seeking after him and you want an experience with him, he will show up. The rest of us need to come spend time with Jesus so that we can accurately represent him to a watching world. Chi Alpha stands for this. It stands for Christ's ambassadors. And if you know anything about ambassadors in the world, they're intentional. They are intentional. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see how we can live presently and intentionally. This is something that we're all going to be learning for the rest of our lives. It's not something that we're going to get tonight and then we're just going to nail it and then never have to work on it again. As we go from here, what we can do is we can talk to each other. When we're out tonight eating tacos, sharing a meal together, maybe later this week in small group, talk about the ways that God speaks to you and how we can help each other be more intentional. If it weren't for guys like Derek and Jonathan and Scroggins and Ryan, then I wouldn't understand these things. I would have a worse picture of the kingdom of God, and I would be worse for it. And ultimately, the kingdom of God at Sam Houston State, the kingdom of God here at Angelo State would be different because there's a, a community of believers following after Jesus, pushing each other closer to him, living purposefully and intentionally just like he does. And tonight, we're going to see this, that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament and the New, was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to meet with you. Desperately, he's longing for you to have a relationship with him. We'll pray, and then we're going to spend some time. I'd encourage you, all of us need to come. I'll be up here at the front spending time with Jesus so that I can know him better. The cool thing about God's character is that it's infinite, right? I've spent a lot of time walking with Jesus, and I still know barely anything. But that's the beauty of it, is that we get to keep having revelations of who he is. So if you want to know more about God's character, if you want him to reveal himself to you, then come spend time with him. Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you're not a God who, who created us and left us to our own devices. Thank you that you're a God who loves us, who's active and present in humanity. Thank you that you're intentional, that you care about us. God, the Bible says that you knit us together in our mother's womb. Before we were born, you had plans for us and purpose. Jesus, we thank you for the things that you have planned for us, God. God, would you help us to understand your character? Would you help us to understand what it looks like to walk presently and intentionally in the world? Would you help us to be a right example of you to a, a watching campus and a watching city? Jesus, that we'd be able to, to live these things so that other people could understand you and know you better. And ultimately, that your kingdom will push forward. God, that you can change the world from a small town like San Angelo, Texas. Jesus, that some of us will leave here and go on to work in the marketplace and cities or to be missionaries all across the world. But we know that you are working out your purpose with intent, the plans that you have for us, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you even now that you're going to meet with us. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus.